today uh, until we're finished with the Old Testament. <clears throat> and uh, I'm not sure that we will go straight into a New Testament survey after this. I've been uh, praying about another series to do in Sunday school that um, uh, I'm not sure which direction the Lord would have us go yet, but uh, we may continue on into the New Testament yet. I'm not sure of that uh, for yet, but uh, I, there is another one that has been on my heart and I, I've been praying about. And so pray that God will give clear direction in that, help us to understand and to know uh, what His heart and His will on it is. And uh, I've enjoyed uh, doing the surveys of the Old Testament books. It's uh, kind of, it's been a while since I've done Old Testament survey. And so brushing up on some of these things and learning some new things even that I had not known before uh, have been a help even to me in studying Scripture and understanding how, how all of the books uh, coordinate, uh, sometimes knowing a little bit of the historical setting and uh, who the contemporaries are of other writers of Scripture and how those books kind of integrate and uh, deal with the same uh, circumstances that either Israel or Judah were going through at the time uh, has been a help. It helps to understand uh, some of the prophecies and the way that God is dealing with them. Micah is uh, a, again, he's considered one of the minor prophets because of the size of the book that he has in the Scripture, but he was very impactful. Uh, he was... Uh, served about 25 miles away from the center of Jerusalem, uh, and he was born, and his ministry was primarily to the southern kingdom of Judah, but um, you'll find that there is also some messages that he gives uh, to the northern kingdom. In chapter 1 and verse number 6, if you'll look there real quick, <clears throat> you'll find that he says, Therefore I will make Samaria as an heap in the field in his plantings of a vineyard, and I will pour down the stones thereof into the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And so, even though his primary ministry and the majority of his prophecies and um, uh, teachings were directed specifically to Judah, uh, there are some instances where he focuses his message to um, the northern kingdom of Israel. And of course, the northern kingdom's um, uh, capital was Samaria, if you'll remember that. So there, the city of Samaria was... The capital of the northern kingdom, Jerusalem, was the capital city of the southern kingdom. Uh, and Micah is a prophet primarily to uh, people that were under a great oppression, and mostly the poor and the downcast uh, is who he's uh, standing up for, uh, who he is trying to help through his prophecies and what God has given to him. <clears throat> They're going through a great period of uh, corruption in leadership in both Judah and in Israel. Uh, there is corruption with the rulers, the kings that are in power during this time. Um, there are problems with the prophets that uh, crop up that are false. Uh, they preach a message and say, uh, thus saith the Lord, and, and it is not God's message. And there's uh, a vast uh, number of them in this time that Mike is prophesying, and he calls them out. Uh, and he deals with them the way the Lord would want them to deal with them. Uh, he serves during the time of um, uh, Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. So if you can kind of remember where they fall in the kings of Israel, basically from about 739 uh, to about 686. Uh, so he's got a, a fairly long ministry, uh, over 40 years of serving and uh, prophesying. He serves under all of those rulers. But they have uh, the corrupt rulers, they have false prophets, they have 
uh, ungodly priests, uh, wickedness in the priesthood that's taking place. They have uh, judges that were bought by bribes, and so they have unjust judges. So if you were the poor or oppressed of this generation, uh, you couldn't even seek legal help. Um, you, would, you would still uh, lose any type of uh, justice that you were seeking. And then uh, the merchants themselves, because of all the corruption, and it's no excuse for them, but because of all the corruption in leadership, they resorted to deceptive practices and false weights, and they're cheating people, and they're doing that to make a living because so much other corruption was taking place on society. It kind of trickled down. And so both countries are kind of in a mess during this time. Uh, they're struggling. They're suffering with um, uh, some civil injustices that are taking place and uh, be, being very much... Uh, Poverty-stricken, I guess you could say gas prices were high and inflation was rising, kind of a mindset. If we can relate to that, we kind of know how the, the country was at this time, in, in their time, uh, being oppressed. And some of the things that we struggle and think, boy, that's, that's hard on us today, uh, were some of the things that were happening to them uh, in, in different ways, obviously. Uh, there was a, a, a pollution of sin and corruption uh, that basically had permeated all through every level of society in both Judah and Israel. And uh, look with me, and we're going to look at two passages here real quick. But God, uh, the, the book is divided into three sections, and God gives a proclamation of His judgment in the first section, that's chapters 1 to 3. And the second section of the book, chapters 4 and 5, He gives a pronouncement of, um, uh, of His redeeming and kind of uh, restoring uh, Israel again. And then uh, in chapter 6 and 7, uh, he uh, gives an invitation for repentance. And so we have three sections. We have uh, him proclaiming the judgment in chapters 1 to 3. He talks about restoring Israel and Judah after uh, the judgment in chapters 4 and 5. And then in 6 and 7, he's asking them for repentance to come to him uh, in repentance. But let's look at a couple passages here real quick. In chapter number 1, and uh, let's go ahead. We'll we'll start in verse number one. We're going to the, the one I want you to see uh, basically is in verse number two. Though the word of the Lord that came to Micah uh, the Morisite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and uh, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, he, uh, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear all ye people, hearken O earth and all that therein is, and let the Lord God be witness against you and the Lord from His holy temple. And uh, so we find that God is going to be a witness here of all this thing. And it's interesting because there's some, some analogies and some word pictures here that God uses uh, with Micah. And He calls on the mountains and the hills to be the jury in a courtroom scene uh, as He lays out the charges against Israel and against Judah. And then He proclaims there's no doubt by the time God has laid out His, his evidence against them that they are guilty, and even they cannot refute the charges. And so we find here in verse number 2, the Bible says, And let the Lord be witness unto you, and the Lord from His holy temple. And so he's inviting all of the earth and all that therein is to see uh, His judgment on Israel. Now look in chapter number 6 and verses uh, 1 and 2. We're going to see something very similar. He's kind of reiterating this. He says, Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. 
Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with His people, and He will plead with Israel. And so he basically takes the sin that Israel's committing and Judah's committing, and he lays it out open and bare to the whole world. And he, he, he uses the world, he uses the, the hills and the mountains even, as witness against the, his, own, uh, his own people uh, for their sin and their, for, for their corruption. Uh, we find that the, their causes for judgment, the reason that God decided to judge them, uh, is because they uh, had uh, schemes that they uh, would devise wicked schemes to uh, cheat and to be unjust to one another. There was rampant covetousness that went on in the, both nations. And then there was uh, just an unbelievable amount of cruelty. People just being mean uh, to one another. And the oppressed and the poor were the ones that suffered probably the greatest under the wicked hand of the rulers and the priests and the prophets and the merchants and the judges. And all of them, all of the leadership, seemed to be bent on oppressing the people. And so, again, this is, these are some of the things that God looks at and He says, uh, I, I, you know, He gives them time. He, he asks for them to uh, repent in other uh, cases. Um, Micah is... Uh, a contemporary with uh, Hosea and with Isaiah uh, prophetically. So they're serving at the same time. And you can remember from some of those books some of the issues that were going on during the same time. Um, the, uh, in chapters 6 and 7, as God gives a plea for repentance uh, to, na- to the nations of Israel and Judah, uh, we find that they uh, spurn the grace that God extends to him. God is a long-suffering God. One of the amazing things to me as I was studying this book is uh, the first three chapters as he deals with his, his coming judgment on them, but then the very next two chapters, in chapters 4 and 5, he speaks of restoring them again. And he speaks of his graciousness and his willingness to follow the covenant that he had established with them and his mercy. And uh, it's amazing to see the kind of God that we have. I mean, think about this. Israel has time and time and time again, have they not, uh, gone through this cycle of calling out to God for deliverance. God gives them deliverance. They see revival and repentance. And within just a few generations, they're right back. And you'll find in Micah, as in every other one that we've studied so far, the two biggest things that began the, the drift were adultery and idolatry. You'll find those two themes in this book again as the downfall of Judah uh, and uh, when God pronounces the fact that uh, the judgment is coming because of this. And so, uh, we, again, we see this uh, coming in, uh, again and again. They spurn the grace that God extends to them. His plea for repentance goes unheeded. And uh, we find that these folks choose to revel in their wickedness rather than to repent. And we've seen a lot of this as we've studied even the book of Revelation on Wednesday nights, uh, the folks that will be in the end times, how they will see the, the judgment of God and they won't repent from it. They won't turn from it. Uh, I'm thankful and, and I, I believe very strongly that God judges those that are not His. And sometimes it may not be on this side of eternity. It may be on the other side of eternity that He brings that judgment. But rest assured, it will come. And, but he also brings chastening to those that are his. 
And you and I that are saved, that have trusted Christ as our Savior, uh, if we have put our faith and trust in Him, if we continue in sin, and He is long-suffering, and He's merciful, we may not see the result of that right away, but the Bible says that He will chasten us. And while we don't suffer the judgment that the unsaved do, we do, we do suffer the chastening of God oftentimes. And the reason I say all that is because even as Christians, if we're not careful, we are prone to have the same attitude that these folks are displaying, where they choose to spurn the grace that God extends them and to revel in their wickedness and say, uh, we would rather live in sin. You, you know, I, love, I, I love the contrast that the Bible shows oftentimes. And when you read in the book of Hebrews about Moses, it says that he would rather uh, suffer the affliction of the people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And yet you find the heart of Israel as a whole generally the opposite of that. They would rather enjoy the pleasures of their sin for a season and uh, to uh, suffer the affliction as the result of it. And this is what they choose here. Micah comes, he very strongly, profoundly preaches. He's very direct. He's, he's from the countryside. He's from a very humble uh, upbringing. And uh, he preaches very boldly, very passionately. He has a heart. Uh, for the oppressed and those that are being wronged by the leadership. God promises to pardon their iniquity and to renew their nation according to their covenant with Him, which to me is uh, just a wonderful blessing that shows again the mercy of God and the grace of God. Um, I'm thankful that during the time that we're living, He is still extending His grace and He is still extending His mercy. There's going to come a time where He won't, but I'm glad that He does now. And I'm glad we've been able to be a partaker of that. The author, of course, is Micah. His hometown was uh, Morasheth Gath. It was about 25 miles or so uh, from Jerusalem, near Gath itself, the city of Gath. Uh, we found that in chapter 1 and verse number 1, that he is a, uh, a Morasite. And also down in chapter 1 and verse 14, if you want to look down there very quickly, we find that the name of the city is given. Therefore shalt thou give presents to Morasheth Gath, uh, the houses of, of uh, Akzib shall be uh, a lie to the kings of Israel. So again, we see his hometown here. We know uh, pretty much where it was at location-wise, geographically. Um, he, uh, let's look in chapter number 3, verse number 8. We'll find uh, the place where God uh, kind of commissions him and calls him to do uh, the work that he serves for faithfully for so many years doing. As he says in uh, verse number 8, but, I, uh, but truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of judgment and of might to declare unto Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. Uh, it's very important that we, as God's people, find what God has for us to do and then to be willing to do it. God has a plan for every one of us. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, He has a plan for every one of us. I was talking to my son the other day, and uh, I was very, very blessed to have the father that I had growing up. My dad was a pastor, and he was uh, one of those leather lung preachers, you know, and he was uh, very strong in, in doctrine and uh, very steadfast and strong in standards and old-fashioned in hymns and King James Version. And I was so grateful to grow up in the home that I did. Uh, but it was interesting to me growing up to watch, as even as a little kid, I mean, six, seven, eight years old, I'd go back in the back of the church after service and stand beside him while he shook hands because I loved my dad and I, I liked to be around him. 
And there were times that uh, people in our church would shake down, you know, bend down and shake my hand. Uh, little Greggy standing there, you know, and they would shake my hand and say, Now, are you going to be a preacher like your daddy? And I remember many, many times my dad saying, you know, I don't, I don't care if he's a preacher or not. I just want him to do what God has for him to do. And I'll be real frank with you. I am so grateful as growing up in a pastor's home that uh, I think a lot of pastors make that mistake of saying to their kids, you got to be in ministry. I don't know God's will for my kids. I know some things that are definitely not God's will for them. But I don't know His will for them. And nor do I know God's will for you. And it is very important that we don't get involved in some things and blame God for it and realize that we're not good or cut out for this. Uh, I've seen a lot of men who went into ministry that probably should not have gone into ministry because they were pressured by their families or by their pastor, by their youth pastor. I think it's wonderful to see here a good picture of Micah saying, I do this because the Spirit of the Lord has, has put this on me. I, I have to do this. This is something that I'm led to do, I'm called to do. His family did not push him into it. And so I would tell you two things about this. Number one, make certain that you are seeking what God's plan for you is. And number two, don't let anybody else, any other human, tell you what God's plan for you is. They don't know. Your pastor does not know. I can tell you from Scripture things that I would know for sure are not God's will, but I don't know what God's plan is for you. It is very important that each of us, and I don't care what age we're at, we may be young, we may be old, if we've not found what God has for us to do, then it's, it's time to get busy and find that out. Don't waste any more time. Find out what it is that God has for you to do in His service, in His work, and do it. Get involved. And uh, I love this uh, passage in chapter 3 as Micah deals with the fact that uh, the Holy Spirit has given him this and has filled him with this power uh, to do this work that he's called him to do. Um, let's, look at, uh, let's look at the uh, Christ of Micah, if you will, for a few moments. Uh, let's look, we're going to look at several passages here. Uh, probably the most clearly stated prophetic verse in Old Testament uh, regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is found in this little book of Micah. Chapter 5 and verse number 2, very familiar verse. A lot of people memorize this or quote this, especially around Christmas time. In uh, Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, it says, But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, and of course, remember, there are numbers of Bethlehems uh, around the country, and so it was very important that they specified which Bethlehem they were speaking of here. It says, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, so it's the Bethlehem that is located in the valley of Ephrath, uh, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That phrase tells us that it's not just speaking of a human ruler to come, that it is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. That He is going to come to the Bethlehem in the valley of Ephrath. And one of the clearest prophetic verses in the Old Testament, if you ask my opinion on it, probably the clearest verse in Old Testament Scripture regarding the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to understand this. Micah prophesied this over seven 
hundred years before the Lord Jesus Christ came. That's amazing. Uh, there is so much evidence to the truth of Jesus Christ being the Son of God found in Old Testament Scripture, if nothing else, by the fact that He fulfilled not one, but over 600 prophecies exactly the way they were prophesied. Some of them hundreds and hundreds of years before they even happened. If that doesn't give us evidence enough to know that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, uh, then I don't know that there's any evidence that could be given stronger than that. And uh, I'm thankful that we have a Bible that shows us these things and helps us to know this. Look in chapter number 2, and uh, we're going to look at a couple other verses of Scripture here, uh, two more passages that uh, speak about uh, Christ and uh, prophetically. Chapter number 2, verse number... Uh, oh, let's see here. Did I get the right... Um, I flipped back to the wrong book. Chapter 2, verse number 12. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. And so again, dealing here with the restoration uh, of Israel in the end times and the Lord being the head of them again and the ruler of them at that time. Uh, wonderful prophecy given there. Let's look in chapter 4, verse number 1. We'll find again he deals with the same subject matter. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow unto it and many nations shall come. And say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for the Lord shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among many people, and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and none shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. For all the people will walk every one in the name of his God, and we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, saith the Lord, will I assemble her that halteth, and I will gather her that is driven out, and her that I have afflicted. And I will make her that halteth a remnant, and her that was cast off from uh, of a, na a strong nation, the Lord shall reign over them in the Mount Zion from henceforth, even forever. And thou, O tower of the flock, stronghold of the daughters of Zion, <clears throat> unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter uh, of Jerusalem. And so again, uh, eight verses here that deal very, very clearly with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, will be the reigning king over Israel. Uh, in uh, the future, in the coming days. And so again, we see Christ uh, given uh, indication here in Micah. Uh, the theme of it is uh, judgment and restoration of, Ju of Judah, uh, primarily, but Israel as a whole. Uh, the key verses, uh, probably one of the most famous verses uh, from this book, one that I I've known since I was a kid anyway, is uh, chapter 6 and verse number 8. If you want to take a moment to look there. Micah chapter number 6 and verse number 8, these are the chapters where God is asking Israel and Judah to come back to Him and to repent. And uh, they were content. They had 
they had left uh, heartfelt worship and uh, seeking for God with uh, a form of religion that was very empty, it was very ritualistic. And by the way, if we're not careful, uh, we do the same thing. There are times that we get in our Christian lives and we just go through the motions and we go through the routine of what we're supposed to do. And the heartfelt worship is left out. Uh, the nation had done this and felt like that was enough. But God tells them here uh, in verse number 8 of chapter 6, He has showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Now keep in mind what the problems of Israel and, and Judah were at the time. There was corruption, there was cruelty, and there was the oppression of the poor. And look at this verse one more time and read it with that context and that mindset. He has showed the old man what is good and what the Lord doth require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. By the way, I don't think that's a bad pattern for any Christian. I think that's a wonderful pattern. Something we could take to heart and say, I want to live... That way. I want to do justly. I want to love mercy. And I want to walk humbly with the Lord. So much so that uh, God kind of hits the nerve, if you will, of the problems that Israel and Judah were having at the time. He understood their wickedness and their corruption. says you need, to, you need to repent and come back to a just form of governing. They knew that there was cruelty going on. He said you need to love mercy. And he knew that they were oppressing the poor, those that were under them. There was an arrogance and a pride about them. He said, you need to walk humbly with thy God. And he hits the nerve. Doesn't God always have a way of doing that with us? He seems to point out the very problem we're having, and he touches on it. He seems to know it right off the bat, and rightfully so. The Bible tells us he knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And uh, certainly he understands our problems and our issues. Let's look also in chapter 7, verse number 18, another key verse of this book. Chapter 7 and verse 18, and I think one of the most beautiful verses regarding uh, the kind of God that we serve. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity, passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage, he retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. What an amazing God. And what a great truth about Him. And I'm so thankful that we have a God that is merciful, that His anger and His justice will not be forever for us. And certainly we don't have to go through that. We may go through a chastening for a time and a period, but His mercy is extended to us. And certainly to his people, he said he would uh, redeem them and bring a remnant out. And then our key chapters are chapters 6 and 7 uh, of the book of Micah. Uh, they kind of bring all of what God has shared with Israel and Judah, uh, kind of summed it all up in those two last two chapters of the book. Um, God uh, certainly brings to bear the problems that Israel and Judah are having. He says basically there's only one verdict, as he called the courtroom of the world in the mountains and the hills, and accused them of what they were doing, and the verdict was guilty. As a result of that, he sends judgment, and it's not long before the Assyrians come and conquer the northern kingdom and bring them under subjection. Just about 150 years later, 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes and conquers Judah, the southern kingdom. And they reap the judgment that Micah uh, prophesies here. Uh, and God uh, certainly had to bring that chastening to His people to get their attention. But aren't you glad He's a merciful God? And He reaches out and He tells them, it's not going to be this way forever. He said, I will restore you. I will bring you out the remnant. And I will be a king and a God to them once again. And uh, what a great God we serve. Let's go ahead and stand together. We'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we are thankful for Your Word. A wonderful book, the book of Micah. As we study some wonderful truths out of it, I pray that You'll help guide and direct us as we study Your Word. May we understand some of the background, the historical setting, some of the issues that were uh, taking place in the times. And, uh, Lord, that we could understand Your heart uh, 